0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. How did you get involved in investigating spirits and stone? How did you do that, the megalithic uh, structures?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but we've got a little time. Uh, I was lucky enough as a teenager to work in a bookstore here in my hometown of Woodstock, New York, uh, an antiquarian bookstore, so it, it specialized in, in uh, ancient mythology, uh, Arthurian legend, um, a lot of Celtic mythology. So I read a lot of books on ancient history and ancient cultures, and, and uh, it, it sparked an interest that's kind of lived lifelong. Uh, but my my work as a radio frequency engineer and my love of ancient history kind of intersected about a dozen years ago, when I was. Um, doing some some research uh, for Graham Hancock in his book Underworld.
0: Ah, great guy, too.
1: Yeah, Graham is wonderful, a good friend. And um, he invited me to, to, uh, to write an article um, based on some of the stones that we had found in the woods here uh, in, 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 uh, in Ulster County. So I was asked to sit on a, on a sighting board for a cell tower in our town, and during that time... Uh, during the, the site approval process, the public hearing, a lot of people came forward and talked about these stone mounds and stone structures that they had in the woods on the mountains, and they they you know wondered if they were Native American. All the kind of local lore and local tales had always said that these were something that were uh, ancient and, and Native American in origin. But when they brought the experts in, the archaeologists, they were all dismissed um, as early American or colonial agriculturally related stone constructions. Uh, no, no credence given to the fact that they might, in fact, be ancient prehistoric um, Native American constructions. So, you know, it, it, this is kind of what introduced me to NIRA, New England Antiquities Research Association, because some of their experts showed up and testified and provided evidence saying, in fact, that these were Native American um but the the you know the cell tower project went ahead and unfortunately uh a, a dozen or so of these um constructions were destroyed in 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 the uh building of the tower but it got me very interested in these and and um you know as an outdoor guide I'd always w- walked around in the backwoods and mm-hmm. on the trails and bushwhacking and I've come across these things occasionally old stone objects in the woods and I really was struck with that. It. It's a genuine mystery because I, did, I you know, I, I don't buy the fact that they're all uh, colonial or early American. There was, in fact, a survey done part of the 1880 U.S. census, and in this census, they did a survey of what they called uh, agricultural stone fences in the Northeast, and they documented over 240,000 miles of stone construction, stone walls. Jeez, so, you know, that's enough to reach the moon or wrap. <laughs>
0: It sure and is. The, and and the, how tall and are uh, the structures? They're about, what, four or five feet tall?
1: Some of them are four or five feet. Some of them are, are 12 or 15 feet. Um,
0: it's a lot of stones.
1: A lot of stones took a tremendous effort uh, by a, a, you know, a large population that was very motivated to, to do this. times. So you have to, you have to kind of um, assume that some of them were here and pre-existing and that when the colonists and the settlers arrived, there were already a lot of stone uh, constructions in the woods that were left by uh, Native American groups that have been living in the region for 10,000
0: years. What would you say, Glenn, is the reason for the structures and, and the fascination by so many people in them?
1: well that's that's a very interesting question, and I think it's an open question. Uh, the interpretation of these has kind of fallen through the cracks of um, archaeology and anthropology, uh, mo- mainly because the the uh, academics in our region don't recognize them as being Native American and when you talk to the um, talk to the experts in our region and, and You know, in in SUNY New Paltz, there's Joe Diamond. He's the the head of archaeology there at Marist College. You have Lucy Johnson. She's their archaeologist at Bard College. You have uh, Christopher Linder. And all these are, you know, they're very well-trained archaeologists, but well-trained in that, you know, they would, would adamantly say that the Native Americans in the Northeast did not build in stone and that they certainly did not align their stone constructions with, Uh, events on the horizon, so-called observational astronomy. This is shown to have been um, something that ancient populations around the world and throughout the Western Hemisphere, if we talk about the Midwest or the Southwest or Central America or South America, all the ancient um, Native American cultures are credited with building in stone and aligning their constructions to events on the horizon. But that's not the case in the Northeast. In the Northeast, they're simply not given given that credit. And when you talk to these archaeologists and you ask them about the spiritual practices of the native tribes thousands of years ago, they really not on that. They won't say what their spiritual practices were, but it, I believe in fact that many of these stone constructions uh, have a very strong connection to their spiritual belief and their spiritual belief system and and um, and it was a complicated belief system it was sophisticated again something they're not given credit for having and by sophisticated i mean it was um it was three-dimensional you know we don't really think of our of our existence as very three-dimensional but they related everything to the underworld and the world of living you know where we are on on the earth's surface the material world and then the supernatural the world above the celestial or the other sky world the world of the gods so These sites, I believe, are tying those three elements together.
0: Do you think, Len, that there might have been any kind of uh, extraterrestrial help or any assistance or anything like that?
1: Well, you know, that's a very popular notion these days, but for the the kind of sites that I discuss and I study in my book, there really is no need for any type of um, uh, technology beyond what humans... Okay,
0: so human uh, technology at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think humans, uh, you know, if motivated, they have the abilities, they have the ingenuity to do amazing things uh, with very large objects, and they don't necessarily need magical or uh, E.T. powers to to pull it off. Now, the two aren't mutually exclusive. I'm I'm not saying that ancient uh, aliens and that theory... Uh, and even modern <laughs> aliens, that there may not be visitations. I think that there is a, um, a connection to these sites in that um, uh, a, a great aspect of these sites, ha- I believe, has to do with altering states of consciousness and perhaps um, traveling to other realms through a mm-hmm. portal that involves speaking with beings on the other side you know this is kind of a shamanistic belief a shamanistic practice so I don't know, if you if you've looked into um say graham hancock's book on uh, uh, supernatural or rick strassman's um studies on uh dmt that right, right you can you know make some connections between um uh, you know the the abduction phenomenon and the um, kind of altered states of consciousness and traveling to other realms to to connect with, um, you know, the other world. There's a, you know, there is a a connection there.
0: You've talked about uh, archaeoastronomy, which leads me to think that some of these structures are echoing some of the astronomical things that uh, are up in the sky, are they?
1: In fact, they are. That's what, what I've uh, what I've kind of discovered and, and documented in, in this book. is kind of a decade's worth of research into these man-made constructions in the backwoods. And I've really focused on the Catskills and the Schwangok Mountains and the Hudson Valley of New York. And, you know, I examined the, the, the origins and the purpose and, and uh, the different types of old stone objects. And, you know, I also examined important sites around the world for insights into other ancient megalithic cultures, and in the Northeast, as in these other places, we find a pattern that's revealed uh, through the eye of landscape archaeology and archaeoastronomy. It speaks to the sophisticated belief system of an ancient population that understood the complex movements of the sky, um, probably in, in some ways in a more innate way than we do today. I mean, we, we have a very good scientific understanding, but if I was to ask you about the movement of the sky and the movement of the stars, or, or, or ask a general member of the public they're probably pretty clueless about it but in back in those you know thousands of years ago this was very much integrated into their belief system and lives and um, they spent a lot of time uh, carrying out these cultural practices of celestial observation um, I believe they ma- manipulated the landscape um, to uh, to express this belief system
0: what is your favorite stone structure that you looked at
1: well, here um, on Overlook Mountain, uh, on this piece of land that we were able to preserve uh, once it was threatened, there's this uh, what I call the, G- the Draco
0: petroform, which is this large. Uh, uh, I, I, and I actually, should tell people, Glenn, we've got images at coast amcom that you supplied us, and that we. Oh
1: great, great, great yeah, you know, I sent some in- images to the webmaster for them to put up. So some of them may be of this of this construction these are large large cairns up to a hundred feet in length there's only six of them laid out and two what i call uh, serpent effigy walls these are large 90 foot walls curving walls they don't really serve any practical purpose but they both end in a in a large boulder and they're kind of configured tail to tail head heads away from each other and these these eight objects when taken together and kind of connecting the dots you get a, uh, a, a, a configuration that um, turns out matches very closely to the circumpolar constellation Draco, the serpent or the snake constellation, uh, which is an important constellation because it, it is circumpolar. It's always spinning around what's known as celestial so the place in the sky where the Earth's axis points. And, um, it, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of uh, ancient cultures were kind of preoccupied with understanding Position of celestial north and how it changed over time because of course because of the wobble the earth's axis that point in the sky where the earth's axis points is is uh, scribing a slow circle it's never um, you know it doesn't remain in the same place right now it's marked by Polaris it's usually marked by the, the closest star to that point and and right now it's Polaris but if you were to go back 5,000 years the pole star would be Thuban uh, which is the third star in the tail of Draco. so this this wasn't lost on ancient cultures. Even preliterate cultures that that uh, hadn't yet developed writing understood the movements and um, and procession and how it affected in some ways the age the ages of of uh, humanity.
0: What were most of these structures constructed for for uh, for safety purposes, for barriers something religious what do you think they were for
1: well i i don't think they had necessarily just one purpose i think they were multi-purpose um when you when you talk about these um megalithic chambers hundreds of them in dutchess and putnam county on the east side of the hudson river these are amazing structures um and they are uh aligned to the winter solstice sunrise Um, But they're also large enough that, you know, a a group of people, 30, 40 people could get inside these things and shelter from from inclement weather, which if you ever spent a... uh,
0: Was it like a recreational hall at the time?
1: Well, I don't know about recreation so much as more like um, travel lodges, places where people could shelter together. um,
0: What would the dimensions of this structure be?
1: Uh, These are probably, they've got... Twelve foot ceilings. They're probably uh, between twenty and forty feet long and maybe um, half that wide. So they're they're. Um,
0: and there had many of them scattered all over the place.
1: Hundreds of them throughout, throughout the Northeast. And again, they're by the uh, historians. They're considered to be um, colonial root cellars, but they're not constructed as root cellars.
0: Could they have been huts types or little houses?
1: I believe they were shelters. I believe that they were places that people could seek refuge in, in storms. Uh, but also, they also served a spiritual purpose, again, in that they were aligned with the solstices, and, and the uh, some of them are oriented due east for the equinox sunrise. Some of them are to the southeast for the solstice sunrise in the winter. And as that sun would rise, it would shine a shaft of light within the, ch- the entrance of the chamber, um, and this was very firm in understanding where the sun was going to be on the longest or shortest day of the year before it would begin its trek back in the opposite direction. Um, so I've also mentioned that these sites could also be used for potential vision quests because these chambers, when you enter them, you know they're very dark, they're very isolated. They're, they're large areas, but if you were in it by yourself for a prolonged period of time, Uh, You know, it could be seen as a type of sensory deprivation tank where um, if you were on some type of spiritual vision quest, you could have, um, you know, uh, uh, visions or hallucinations,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: uh, spiritual um, aberrations and and things can happen.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.